This podcast is to entertain and to inform, not to provide medical advice. You should always consult your own personal medical team when it comes to your health. Good evening. Welcome to another episode of At the Heart of Your Health. I am your host, Dr. Kendall Griffith, and my co-host, Nurse Nikki. We are back and excited to be here with you tonight, as always, to continue to discuss matters that get to the heart of your health. On tonight's show, we have a very special guest, Dr. Olufobi Badebo, a psychiatrist who will be talking to us about addiction, uh, but mostly focusing on smoking and how you can stop smoking, pretty much. <laughs> yes, continuing <laughs> on with our New Year's resolution shows. Exactly. So again, uh, as we've discussed before, um, the number one New Year's resolution is to, to keep, keep your, your New, New Year's, Year's resolution. resolution. <laughs> and then the second one, the second well, first one. The second first one, yes. <laughs> the second first one was? To lose weight or get fit. Right. So we talked about that before, and then we talked about nutrition, and today we're going to talk about addiction. And, and smoking, smoking cessation, cessation. Which, is, which is one of the big ones, one of the yes. top five. Mm-hmm. So so it gives me great pleasure to introduce you to Dr. Olofobi Badabo. Dr. Badabo, welcome. I'm glad to be here. Thanks for having me here. <laughs> Absolutely. It's a joy. So I'm, I'm just going to tell the folks a little bit about you. I appreciate that. Yeah. So Dr. Badabo is board certified in general psychiatry as well as child and adolescent psychiatry. He originally from Nigeria, where he attended University of Ibadan College of Medicine. Upon moving to New York, he completed his residency at Erie County Medical Center and his fellowship at Children's Hospital of Buffalo, where he was chief resident. He specializes in evaluation and treatment of the full spectrum of psychiatric disorders. Dr. Bedabon joined Statesboro Psychiatric Associates in 2010 after serving as director of the Marshfield Clinic in Wisconsin. He enjoys working with adults as well as children, teens, and their families. It's really exciting. I've known Dr. Badabo since I got here in Statesboro two years ago, and so I'm just excited to have you here with us tonight. I'm really glad to be here with you. Yes, thank you for coming. Uh, Thanks for having me. (laughs) All right. All right, so let's get on with it. All right, let's do this. (laughs) So, So the first question really is about addiction, and what are your thoughts on addiction? What are the causes of addiction? What are some of your recommendations for um, people who have addictions? How do they help themselves? How do you help them? Well, that's a really good question. I think it's probably a good idea to clear the misconception. You know, a lot of people think of addiction as simply behavior, something you just need to, you know, try hard, Uh, like the previous slogan, just say no. Mm-hmm. We now know addiction is a lot more than that. It's actually a complex condition. It's a brain disorder that uh, affects behavior. And when we use addiction, you're talking about compulsive need to use substance that is potentially harmful. And even when you 
no longer want to use it, it's very hard for you to just stop on your own. As a result of that, there are issues to the person, to the family, to job. So there are severe consequences that are a result of using. So it's a really compulsive behavior that's hard to stop just on your own. So it's not a weakness. It's not as simple as saying just, you know, just saying no. We know this is a brain condition, a brain disorder. And, you know, a lot of people have a difficult time understanding how is it that something that you take, whether it is um, drugs or smoking or something like that, that can affect your life negatively or affect your health. You know, some people will, for instance, smoke to the point where they have peripheral arterial disease and they get amputations, they get heart attacks and strokes, and or they even lose their their voice box and they still continue to, to smoke. So it is a very strong trait that exists. Um, what are your thoughts on that? Well, you know, there are neuropathways, which I'm not going to go into all the details that we know are involved uh, with um, addiction. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of the neurotransmitters in the brain that give pleasure is the dopamine. Mm-hmm. And there's a, a feedback loop that you have with substance. Uh, dopamine gives pleasure, and that by itself is very rewarding. So if you think of, um, let's use meth for an example. When someone takes meth, what it does, it floods your brain with so much dopamine that you feel such an euphoria that you probably never felt. And because of that, you actually want to recreate that. And then you start this chase after something that you can never really recreate. Mm. So the first high probably will be the best or the highest. And from there, it's downhill. And then what happens as a result of that is you now start to deplete the dopamine in your brain. So you want to get high. There's not enough dopamine. You use more of the same chemical to get the high that you felt the first time, but your brain can't keep can't up. can't handle it. It can't handle it. So you don't get all the bad effects of the math without any benefit from that, and it creates a lot of problem. Huh. That would be one way to look at it. So it's, 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 it's a little complicated, but it's all feedback through dopamine, which is your reward. It's the same thing that gives you pleasure with food, you know, sometimes alcohol, a lot of the pain medications. Sugar, which sugar, has been studied. Gambling, sex, um, most of those. Uh, so food. all of that is mediated through the dopamine receptor? Through dopamine, yes. That's wow. Because, you know, I remember one time years ago, I, I had a patient and I asked a question to him. I said, and he, he was addicted to crack. And I said, tell me, why... Do you keep doing it and you know that it's doing all this stuff to you? And he was very, very frank. And he said, Doc, you know, I took it one time and it took me to a place that felt so good. And now I spend the rest of my time trying to get back there again. And that's that's it right there. Uh, most people that have addiction issues, actually, they're aware of it. The problem is now that they're not aware is what to do about it. Um, there is a subset of people for whatever reason needs to deny the problem. And that's where family interventions will come in. But most people know there's a problem. They just can't, can't stop, even if you wanted to. So one of the challenges with providers is to let people, first of all, be honest with themselves, be comfortable, talk about this in a non-judgmental way. So because people already feel a little, so much, some shame and embarrassment and discomfort talking about it. So the last thing you want to feel by your doctor or your counselor is uh, judgment. So mm-hmm. that's, um, right. that's key. But with our whole 
conversation about smoking cessation. When people talk about heavy stuff, you really are pushing people to stop. But people don't always equate smoking as a bad thing until they get to the point where they smoke so long that they really start having the physical manifestations Mm -hmm. of that smoking, like what Dr. Griffith talked about. Absolutely. So how do you convince people that even though they might rationalize, well, it's just smoking, I'm not doing crack or I'm not doing crystal meth. Do you do you have a lot of people that come to you for things that are more socially acceptable, but still we know have bad health outcomes? That's another good point. What people may not realize is nicotine, which is what's present in cigarette and a lot of tobacco products, mm-hmm. is a highly addictive substance. Um, some people say maybe more addictive than cocaine, wow. than heroin. And because it's legal, people don't always think of it as a substance of addiction. But again, it goes through the same loop, the same pathway. And Dr. Griffin can speak more to this. But it has a lot of health issues. And when people start to have COPD and they can't breathe or they have a relative that got diagnosed with cancer, then that's kind of when they get a wake up that, okay, this is actually deadly. Dr. Griffin can speak a lot to this. We know pretty much every organ in your body, you know, your heart, your brain, your your kidney, everything. Uh, Nicotine can can affect. But it's a very addictive substance, probably the most addictive when people just don't think of it that way, but it is very addictive. And they want to quit, you know, they tell you that they want to quit and they say that they're going to try, but they have already, most people have already resolved that they cannot quit. And so therein lies a challenge. It's like, how do you get somebody who wants to quit? They know what it's doing to, to their body because they're seeing it. They come back from having open heart surgery or from having stents or from having a a recent stroke. And it's interesting because when they're in the hospital, they're totally convinced that they're going to quit. And then when they get back into their home environment where, you know, the smoking is is associated with feel-good things, it's associated with uh, food, it's associated with friends and family, good times, you know, it's associated with the thing that people want to talk about, like like even sex, right? So there are feel-good things that the addiction is affiliated with. And it seems like it's not just about the act itself of taking the substance, but it's what it is surrounded by. And then they have a very hard time quitting. And then there are some people who, once they've experienced this thing, just get the motivation and they say, I'm done. You know, you hit on two key things. There are are things around you that you associate what we kind of call classical conditioning mm-hmm. to behavior that even when you are motivated to stop that, something around you triggers that and your brain remembers. So if you smoke with your wife, then it becomes a trigger. If you generally smoke when you're in your car, the smell brings it back. Um, and if you're around friends and that's what you do to socialize, then that is very easy to kind of fall back into. And there's a part of nicotine is a feel-good chemical. Mm-hmm. So some people are already prone. So if you're depressed, if you're anxious, if you're restless, a lot of people with ADHD, nicotine actually does have some calming effect. So that is there. So you get that and who doesn't want to feel good. And then once your body is used to it, then you try to stop, you actually go into not just physical, but emotional withdrawal. 
irritable, you're anxious, you can't sleep, then you have to take a drag just to fix that. And then it, it continues. So, you know, when talking to anyone that has any kind of addiction, including uh, nicotine, we, you know, do something called motivational interview, which is to kind of identify why this is important for you to stop, why you need to. And when people have not really identified a specific reason, then it's hard to change. So if uh, your heart is giving up, or you were just told you're about to have, a, I mean, you almost had a heart attack and you have a second chance, that person probably has a better chance than one that has no real health so, so you need some sort of motivator you need to start the process. Right. I see. So so the first part of your of your interview is trying to find that motivation. Yeah, to see where the person actually is. Uh-huh. You know, do they think it's a problem? Are you here because you want to be here? Or your wife said you have to come or your husband said, well, I'm going to divorce. Or you want to have that time to run around with your grandchildren. Mm-hmm. And now you feel like you can do it. And they say, well, grandpa, what's up with that? And right. then you feel like I need to do something. Uh, so there's something going on in the person's life at that moment. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, so if you look at people that make a New Year resolution, if that's all it takes, oftentimes more than half of them, I mean, probably as high as seven out of 10, will drop within the first two weeks. Mm-hmm. So you need something more than just resolution to help you stop. So, so that motivation helps you with making that decision that you want. Correct. There has yeah. to be something that the person has identified that is important. Yes. You know, your health, your children, your grandchildren, your relationship, uh, something that's more than just, I want to do this. There's mm-hmm. got to be one other reason. What would be the next step? Once you identify that motivation, what would be the next step that you do when you're helping people combat addiction, when you do that interview process that you're talking about? Uh, like any addiction, understanding the person that you're talking to, trying to help, has to feel like you're a team. You're part of the same, mm-hmm. you have the same goal. So there's comfort, there's understanding, and then, like we said, identified reasons. Um, if there are uh, some people, it might even be legal reasons well that will br- bring them in. Then you develop a treatment plan. And um, there are what we call now medication-assisted Treatment. Medication is a key part of treatment, but it's not the only only reason. And you don't want anyone leaving your office feeling like there's a medicine or you know a quick fix for this. It's mm-hmm. a long process. So but we now have medications, we have individual therapy, we have group therapy, and then there's support group for not just the person that wants to quit but also family members. And those, all those things, can be you can tap into that. Uh, some of those things are available online, so they're readily available. You know, smoking cessation, there's a hotline for that that you, anyone can call. It's 800 number and it's free. Mm-hmm. And that's true for other addictions. So the first thing is to say, I want to do this, find a partner, and then you develop a treatment plan. And there's no one plan that fits everybody. So each person is an individual and you have to see what is important to that person. What's the type of success rate? People who actually do quit without treatment. I feel like treatment is very important. Everything that you've touched on, approaching it from the psychological aspect because of it being so intertwined with your daily life, whatever the addiction is, if it's so entwined with your daily life, I feel like it's hard to just say, I'm going to quit, which is why with the New Year's resolutions, people don't succeed. But just in general, at any point in time, I'm going to quit and then just do it all on my own. You know, there are people that have that willpower to do that. Not to say people that can't do that, don't have willpower. Those are not the ones that we will get to see. So if you are able to do that, which there are 
people that do that have friends that that smoke and then just say I'm not doing it anymore and stop. But that, those are in the minority. Uh, a lot of people do need help with you know cessation or to stop any form of that. But remember what we said: nicotine is probably one of the most addictive. People don't always remember that it's really really addictive uh, substance. We had, I was going to say, we had two ladies on our show at the end of last year, and it, that's a prime example. One tried and tried and tried and tried and tried mm-hmm. until she finally quit, and the other one just quit. one day just quit. Yeah, and it was interesting. Yeah, it was very interesting to see, and you know, people are very different, but it's always like, how did you do this? And I'm not sure if she went and had any type of therapy or anything. It seems like she just she just quit maybe. on. And I think that with her, the motivation was the fact that she had 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 some cardiac procedures done and that yeah. sort of woke her up. And there are there seems to be with those people, there always seems to be some sort of motivation that just makes them make that decision. Yeah. Right. Right. I mean that's very true. When you really dig uh, further, there's something there. Mm-hmm. But, you know, uh, and there are people that are just uh, very strong-willed and determined. And, you know, I've, I've met someone that said was a lawyer and say, you know what, I'm going to medical school. And like that, he was went dead. to medical school. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, not, not many people can do that. But right. you do have these exceptional people that just have very strong motivation. Yeah. And there's some risk factors, you know. So, say someone that has comorbid issues, you know, anxiety, depression, ADHD, other substance use, that person is less likely to be able to just quit compared to someone that has, you know, supportive family, you know, is generally very motivated, uh, doesn't have any comorbid psychiatric issues, has a job that to say, well, you can't, just can't smoke. I mean, you got to join the military, something like that, that also make it important for the person to decide they can have to stop. Right. So, so then there are people who quit. And this is, I would say, not a majority, but a lot of people who will make that decision to quit. They quit, but then they they have a relapse and they do like what you just said earlier, that they have they have a drag, right? So to them, it feels like they have failed. What, what, what would you tell those people? You know, once you uh, recognize that addiction is a, is a brain condition, it's chronic, it's not something you just overcome in a day, that every day that you stay sober, clean, without smoking is a victory, but it's a constant daily battle. You have to first recognize that. And if you learn to ride a bike and you fall off once, you're not going to say, well, you know, I failed. You jump right back on and try again. The second time, you might ride a little longer before you fall off. Uh, The third time, you might go for like a whole mile. But, you know, once you trip off the bike, that's not failure. Failure will be like not getting on the bike, not getting back on the bike. Mm -hmm. That's when you fail, but not if you tried and you relapsed. Because that's almost almost always the case. But you have to know it's a continuous journey. And every day you have to walk at staying sober. That's what happens, I think, a lot with the New Year's resolutions. You go to the gym at the beginning of the year everybody's in the gym. You can't even get on anything. And then about two weeks in, like you said, 
people start falling off and it's like, well, I missed this one day of working out. Well, I might as well not go. And, and then I'll start getting on Monday. And I don't know why Monday is such a big day that I'm going to start again on Monday. And so smoking, (laughs) right. It's like, let me just, or smoking. Let me, okay. It's Friday. I went ahead and smoked. Well, let me just smoke all weekend long. And then I'll start again on Monday. So that's interesting that people do that instead of just saying, okay, yeah, I messed up, but I'm, I still want to continue on. I still want to achieve this. And so, you know, but, but the patients the that I've seen, there seems to be a feeling of guilt. Yeah, you know, that I failed myself. You know, and then it seems like that feeling of guilt makes the situation worse because now they're not only dealing with the addiction, but now they're dealing with a feeling of self worth that they failed themselves. That's very true. Uh, that is very very true. Which is kind of why whenever you're working with people to overcome addiction, the key part of that is support. Mm-hmm. So you can talk to, you know, Mr. A, B and C and they say, well, this is uh, my journey. I've been through that and they can actually help you walk through those feelings. There's nothing as powerful as talking with someone that's been in your shoes, that's been in the same situation mm-hmm. to kind of like um, walk you through and say, well, you know, you've been on this for six months. It took me two years, but I did it. And to hear that from someone else can be powerful and mm. quite encouraging. So, so there's a lot of need for support group even uh-huh. after you've, you know, quit or you've, you've stopped. You still want to get that support. What do you say to people to encourage them with the stigma? People sometimes are more worried about the stigma of going to seek help than actually what they're doing that they need to seek help to quit. And I don't want to minimize this, but I think actually now seeing a psychiatrist is cool. <laughs> you know, getting therapy is cool. I, yeah. Um, if you're not getting one, I would say you should try it out. Because, <laughs> so it's, it, there are more people that are now open and getting treatment. Is there still stigma? Yes. Do we still have work to do? Yes. But we're far, far ahead where we were, say, 20 years ago. Yeah. And if you think of addiction, addiction probably affects one in seven people. Okay. That is higher than the incidence of, say, cancer, heart disease, or or diabetes. And um, people are really comfortable telling you about their glucose. And they they are yes. And, yes. Um, you know, but addiction is far more common than that. Wow. Um, but but then diabetes doesn't have the social stigma associated with it. Correct. And that's very true. But once we start to understand addiction in the same in this the same way we understand all other chronic illnesses mm-hmm. that these are biological and that's the fact, they are biological. Right now we have more medications that can help people with um, addiction. You know, we're talking about cigarette. You have, you know, nicotine gum, you have nicodam, you have Chantix, mm-hmm. you have Bupropion, uh, which is Zyban. So there are medications. If you go to opiate, you have medications. You go to alcohol because these are truly brain disorders. And part of that medication can, can help. Yeah. One thing I noticed is that people like Taraji P. Henson are talking about emotional help. And I think that that is helping inform people more and kind of remove some of that stigma, especially when you see people that look like you. And also sometimes people really do listen to celebrities. They feel like, okay, well, maybe it's a little okay. I think it's a plus to get the word out there, regardless of where it's coming from, that sometimes you just need a little bit of help. Yeah, and it's um it's good to also remind people that we all may have some type of addiction or not. I mean, I know people that can wake up until they drink their coffee. <laughs> but to me, you know, living in this world that we live in with all of the challenges that we have, 
everybody needs some sort of advice to feel good, right? Mm-hmm. It doesn't have to be anything considered socially bad, but everybody wants to feel good at some point. Everybody wants to feel happy. Everybody wants to feel joy. Everybody wants to feel some sort of pleasure in their life. You know, and it just so happens that sometimes we get addicted to things that are one, either physically harmful, um, what gives us pleasure, or two, is socially unacceptable um, that but still gives us joy. You know, I mean, that's another great question. So people that are, let me reframe that, what do people that tend to be happy have in common? One is they have a sense of purpose. There's something in their lives that outside of them, beyond them, that gives them a sense of purpose, you know, raising family, your job, helping other people. But most importantly, if you find out people that do like what you guys are doing, making effort to actually help people. Uh, that is a powerful, powerful thing. So one of the things we you know, cultivate with people that are trying to stay sober is to find a purpose, something that keeps them busy and engaged, and then a service that they can render to other people, you know, help struggle with addiction, help kids that, uh, that are underserved, uh, serving your church, you know, give back. Those things are actually 10 times more rewarding for you even though you may not recognize that. No, that's 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 great. I, I love that. And Dr. Griffith knows that I'm a big believer in therapy. I think that we all need therapy at some point in time in our lives, and we should not be ashamed to reach out to get help from somebody. I'm a big believer in that. And of course, everything you said about helping other people is a therapy, is a form of therapy within itself. It it's really does make you... therapy. Mm-hmm. Powerful therapy. Yeah. If you can get um, outside of yourself, beyond yourself, if you haven't tried it, I'll say try it. It's, uh, it's quite powerful. Mm-hmm. Good to know. Well... You know, we are unfortunately out of time. Dr. Badeboy, it's been a pleasure having you on. Well, thank you, you so thank much. You. Before you go, do you have any closing remarks that you would... Uh, well, I, I, you know, I tried to write a few you know, numbers down just um, for people might want to. Not that this is related to that, but for people that are struggling, uh, either with addiction, uh, depression, or any kind of mental health, and they get into the point where they're looking at life differently, like, you know, what's the point? Uh, there's the national you know suicide prevention line is uh 800-273-8255 and there's always someone there to talk to you and help you get through whatever you're going through mm-hmm. thank you and we we always ask our guests do you have anybody that you would like to give a shout out <laughs> oh wow that's an easy one uh <laughs> if my wife is listening i want to give a shout out to my my wife Olayemi Badibo, my psychic, my my love, uh, my everything, and of oh, course nice. my children. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm Doctor Michael Lickman, my partner in crime. Thanks <laughs> <laughs> for listening. Um, shout out. Very nice, very nice. Thank you very thank much. Thank you. Yes, for and coming. So we've come to the end of this show, and we want to thank you for joining us tonight. And as always, I am your host, Doctor Kendall Griffith, and my co-host, Nurse Nikki.